Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight, as usual, I'm joined by the wonderful, the beautiful, my excellent co-hosts, Matt and Steve. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? It's a great day. Doing well. Uh, should I be concerned that we've been demoted from being delectable to just being beautiful? You should be concerned. I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> so, how are you doing, Lance? Doing. I'm doing all right. Uh, it's it's been an interesting uh, little bit of time here. I'm excited to get and uh, record some more content. There's, I mean, Cubicle 7 has been releasing so much stuff. We have so much stuff we want to talk about. And um, this episode especially, I'm excited because we've been waiting for so long. But maybe before we get into all of that, first, let's let let's talk about, I mean, I really haven't had a chance to talk to you guys much. What have you been up to, like, gaming-wise lately? So for me, I've been kind of spreading my gaming around a little bit. Things here in uh, in Michigan, at least, or at least in my circle of friends, have quieted down substantially with most of us either being you know, pretty isolated or having already got vaccinated. So we're, we're back, you know, to pretty much full steam as far as getting together to play games. So one of my buddies and I on the video game front have been, we determined that we both like the, uh, the gears of war games for the Xbox, which are like a uh, third person, sh- uh, shooter cover shooter where you play as these, like almost like I get the impression they're like space Marines light essentially on this other planet. And you're, fighting these like weird uh alien creatures but there's five of those games in the main series and he and i found that we own all of them between us either through like a streaming service that we have or that we own on disc so we're going to play through all five games cooperatively online uh we've made it through the first two we're working through the third right now that's been super fun what game Uh, is this gears of war oh gears of war yeah yeah i know that's the that used to be the xbox flagship or, yeah, or and you know, yep. kind of after that Halo. and Halo. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that yeah. was the one that launched with the 360 and helped, mm-hmm. uh, you know, helped keep them in the game. I was also going to mention. I know uh, recently, well, maybe not recently at this point. It's probably been a few months at least. I talked about the game, The Crew, that was the uh, cooperative trick-taking game. Yeah, that was really fun. Well, my wife, um, as many of our listeners will know, Lynn Morrill, she. Uh, had a surgery surgery recently was off work for a little while. She and I played through the whole campaign of the crew, all 50 missions. Wow. And uh, super. It's so good. It's great. Great at two players, really rewarding, like story too, as you're, you know, working as uh, astronauts trying to search for the mysterious ninth planet in our solar system. Uh, it was pretty fun and set us up for the sequel that's coming out. That's uh, all, uh, like deep sea based, which should be cool. Ooh, that does sound cool. I, I actually purchased the crew based on your recommendation um, and it's sitting on my shelf in, and like way too many games it has yet to be played. So yeah, it's really good at two player. It's yeah. a great one. I mean, Janet and I are huge in playing cooperative games together. That's for sure. Our, our number one style of game to play together. Uh, and this one plays really fast. 
has a really elegant two player system that uh, it just it works really well. And we were able to so it was fifty missions. It took us a total of seventy one attempts to finish all fifty. Yeah. So I think the most the most we ever needed for one single mission was uh, four attempts that we finished it in. But yeah, it's a the I can't I've, I've talked about that game ad nauseum since it was uh, released last year, and I I still really enjoy it. Awesome. What have you been up to, Steve? Well, I have been uh, delving back into the Final Fantasy the remake. Uh, so yes. I think I'm about halfway done now. I'm peacefully playing, you know, fully enjoying the experience. Um, and and I'm not sure, Lance, you remember um, the one part where where Cloud has to dance? Yeah, yep. So so I'm playing the game, and you know, I kind of know what's going to happen, but this is like my wife's like first impression of seeing me play it, right? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and she and she literally stays like just this wide eyed, just like what's going on? What type of game is this? The entire like dance routine, and he. And even I, I'm like, this is crazy. This is cool. You're talking uh, so like that the, was... at the honeybees or whatever, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was your wife's first. Ex- She's like, yep. What is this first game impression. called again? <laughs> yep. What's going on? Uh, but uh, that was great. But that's pretty much been my gaming um, for this last, you know, month and a half or so. Nice. Did you did you get a perfect score on it or like a, a, the highest score on it? I'm not sure about the highest score, but I passed. You okay? Yeah, because <laughs> like the the dress you get for Cloud is dependent upon that and a couple other factors. Um, or it's the the dress for Cloud, and so it's all. And then of course you have like the dress for Aerith, and it's it's all back and forth kind of stuff. But um, man, that's uh that's great. I'm glad you're you're starting to catch up. This uh this this is where the game starts to get crazy, man. So I'm pretty sure I saw like top 10 list of uh, sequences in video games that just felt out of place. And that was on there or that it just seemed like so, or though it was too long of a sequence for what it was or something, but yeah, I need to try that one myself. It, but it, see, it's, it's one of like so many things. Um, a bit of it is fan service, right? From the original game. And oh, so, sure. yeah, I, I'm very, very interested to see the next one. Of course, I'm going to have to go get a PlayStation 5, which... Right, yep. Yeah. So, in uh, did you hear, Steve, that they did... Uh, there's some sort of extra DLC you can get, but I think it's... I have to go look into it, but somehow you can get Yuffie, like, right now or something. I haven't uh, heard about that, but I do know they're coming out with that one game that's kind of like, like not, not an expansion, but kind of like an intro. Uh, what's it called? I think of right off the bat, but she's in it. Uh, but I think it's more maybe like a tactical little game. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I'll have to go look into it. But but you need to beat the game, man, because I need to talk to somebody about the ending, and I can't even get Matt to start playing it. You're my only hope. Help me, Steve. Yeah, well, man. We'll we'll talk to uh, it. We'll talk about it in about 2022, maybe mid summer. Yeah. Hopefully, I I can get it wrapped up because man, it's just a fun game to play. Mm. Uh, to relive isn't, the classic. Isn't the remake only a PlayStation, or is can I get the remake on Xbox? I think it's coming out in Xbox next year or something. Oh, it, so you're, it, it so was, you're criticizing me for, for something I can't even use. N- not my problem, nice. man. I'm fairly certain it's oh, not on right. PC. So, 
Okay. Yeah, or I stand corrected. PlayStation 4s are not too expensive right now. Why, why do you play <laughs> yeah. Xbox anyway? I Yeah, that uh yeah. Yeah, it's interesting actually. I like way back in the day, like the original generation of those things, I had a PS2 instead of an Xbox and I played the crap out of that. To this day, I think I'd probably say the PS2 is one of the best like game systems that was ever ever made. There's so um, many games for it. Yeah. yeah, and even I mean, I still have my PS2. I still will pull it out on occasion and and throw in something that I played back then. But really? for whatever reason, instead of switching to the PS2, I or I'm sorry, the PS3, I bought a 360, and then from there, like my friend group had uh, all had Xboxes, and then. Um, that was a wrap. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I mean, flash I, forward twenty years later, and I mean, I have a lot of friends that play on there. I have all my like gamer score and achievements, and all the games that I own. And I mean, it makes sense, but that doesn't mean that owning another Sony system isn't out of the question. Well, I I admit PlayStation Three was kind of the stepchild of the the PlayStation systems. I finally got my hands on one recently, and I, literally the only reason I got it was to play Final Fantasy 13, which I have yet to do. So <laughs> I need to <laughs> I need to get in and do that. All right, so moving on to what I've been up to, and and it's a big fat nothing. So I, I really haven't. I've been so I've had school and finals uh, for for a class um, and uh, projects, and and work has been really busy. So. Unfortunately, I haven't had a whole lot of opportunity to do much um, in that realm. Uh, so, but I am uh, I am looking forward to uh, upcoming. I guess we we could probably tease this, uh, um, but the uh, we're going to be playing some Age of Sigmar, uh, and that's that's around the corner here in a few weeks. Uh, the Lord of the Underdeep Nolan's going to take us through that. So we're going to go ahead and record that and probably put it out as a bonus uh, episode or a couple bonus episodes for you guys. Um, so I'm excited to try Age of Sigmar to give it a, to give it a good shake through. So we'll, we'll see how it turns out. For sure. I know we did a, a quick review of the, the core book when that was released and, uh, we uh, we gave it a pretty positive review, but we also uh, we talked at length about how fun that system looked like it was to play. So I'm pretty sure this will be the first time any of us have had a chance at it, and I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. And especially because uh, Nolan knows the system so much better, and I get to be a player, which is always fun for me um, to do that. I don't, I'm don't. i usually the forever GM on stuff, so um, it's, uh, it's nice to stretch out my... Uh, player legs every now and then oh yeah for sure well before we move on to the announcements and news uh, we wanted to take a second and talk a little bit about our patreon so as most of you know obviously a lot of you a lot of our listeners are already patrons and to all of you who are thank you yes thank you uh, from all of us thank we you. really appreciate the fact that you're you're helping us make this happen we did want to take a mention though or take a minute and mention that at this point we've had our patreon for a couple of years there is a ton of content that is on there and available uh, at both the $2 and the $5 level. So if, you, uh, if you've got some free time, if you've kind of thought about it, thought like, oh, well, I like what I hear from these guys, but I don't know if I want to, you know, commit to doing a big reoccurring, uh, uh, you know, investment, 
you can always just jump in. You know, you can throw in uh, for the $2 level and listen to all of the campaign deconstruction uh, mini uh, podcasts that Lance puts out. And for my dollar, as a GM, I would say the information on those is totally invaluable. I think it's one of the best uh, products, so to speak, that we put out. Uh, and you can listen to all of those for $2. And if you like it, you can keep with us, uh, you know, keep keep your pledge. You know, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. And uh, in, the, know, in the format, the format with the campaign deconstruction, too, is is an interesting concept. So I kind of do a one off one for one for each of the actual play episodes we have on our mainstream I do a campaign deconstruction episode where I basically go through, hey, this is what I think worked. This is what I think didn't work in that episode. And usually I'll find some topic in there that I'll like, you know, either rant about or, you know, you know, give advice on, um, you know, as, as much as I can. Uh, so but it's it's an interesting, especially if you enjoy the actual play and you wonder, like, how did Lance come up with that or, or why did Lance do that, um, you know? Uh, campaign deconstruction is a good way to get into my head and, you know, explain, you know, why I went the route that I did. And, and oftentimes it's not what I planned for. So, sure. well, and not, not to say that, you know, I'm not suggesting that you make, make a lot of mistakes, but it is nice to, to be able to hear, like, you know, learn from the mistakes of others, right? You can, you'll talk about things that you did that you just, you wish you had done differently or things that you you know, did that worked out great that weren't as planned. There's a lot of good uh, information and a good value there. And that's just for $2. So you could pledge $2, listen through all of that. And if you don't want to keep going, you can cancel anytime. And then at the $5 level is where you gain access to our uh, vault, which is ha- at this point loaded full of extra content. We have multiple second edition playthroughs. That's a continuation from the bonus episodes that we released on the show uh, over the past couple of years. We have a couple episodes from the Star Wars, various Star Wars <laughs> systems. We have one that is the Knight of Blood that is just with uh, all Chaos Cultists as the playable characters. There's the full Uber's Rake adventure of Bait and Witch. Oh, yeah. About halfway through the Mad Men of Gotham and more. So again, if it's something that you're thinking about, you could jump in you know, $5 and you've got a full month to go through and listen to as much of that content as you want. And if you want to keep with it, you can, if not, you know, feel free to cancel anytime. Something to consider uh, as always, we appreciate uh, anyone and everyone who's willing to help us uh, continue making content here in the old world. Yeah, absolutely. I just laughed at the star Wars one because I think I was a player in that one too. And if I remember correctly, like my player had, or my character rather had a really like a huge, like all of he was deceiver, like deception was really high. So I like tried to lie my way out of everything in that game. Yeah, <laughs> And uh, if I recall, it did not always go the way you'd hope. No, no, it, it yeah. didn't. Um, I actually kind of felt bad for you as a GM in that. Cause I, I'm sure I created some problems for you. So was that the one I was in where there happened to be a crash? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah yeah good stuff <laughs> i'm fairly i'm fairly certain i told janet that i knew that i knew how to fly her ship even though i had i was like terrible at it I remember that. <laughs> it's like i got it i'm yeah, under I've control been for many years what does this button do <laughs> good stuff so, oh awesome well let's get on to the announcement and news so this is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on wolf and related news 
And uh, to kick us off here, uh, we've had a few blog articles. Well, actually, the big one I wanted to talk about was the Meet the Team article, which is for Russell Thurman. So you all might know him as Muma, Moo Man on the various forums. Uh, so this gentleman is a gentleman that's behind developing the Foundry, the, the Woofrup Foundry modules. So the Foundry is a VTT, the Virtual Tabletop. Um, if you're not aware of it, it's it's a great we 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 have an episode where we're going to be reviewing that in Roll Twenty um, and those modules coming soon. But uh, anyway, he's the guy that like programmed all that stuff, and and it's great. Uh, we've been uh, I've been dabbling in Foundry since uh, he started releasing the stuff, um, and we've actually run a few sessions uh, in in Foundry and in Roll Twenty, but Foundry. Um, uh, it's it's very well done. So this is like a whole article just where he explains kind of how he goes about programming all of this. There's some cool screenshots and the you know the whole process behind it. It's really nifty and and one thing that's really cool that came out of the article is he's actually going to be joining Cubicle 7 full time. So I actually am excited about this for two reasons. One, it's like this guy did something that he enjoyed, and now he's going to make a career out of it. So, like, congratulations, Moo Man. Uh, that's awesome. And uh, Dreams come true. Hey, hey, man. Yep, 100%. Golf clap. Dude, um, that's great. I'm super. But I'm also excited because I think this means we're going to see even more great uh, VTT content coming out if he's going to be doing it full time. Um, I'm not 100% sure on this. I, I might have missed this in an article, but um, I know Age of Sigmar stuff and Wrath and Glory stuff is coming out for Foundry. I'm not sure if he's the one that's doing it, but it makes sense if he's going to be on full time. So I'm excited to see more of that stuff coming. And I know that there's VTT stuff coming. Um, uh, soon, actually, and I think Matt has some information on, on on some new releases on that. Actually, that's true. Yep. So for Foundry releases, we have the Middenheim City of the White Wolf book and Archives of the Empire Volume One that have released on Foundry, and the Wolfrup starter set is now available on Roll Twenty. One thing I wanted to oh, yeah. and uh, Rough Rough Nights is Harn Days as well. One thing I did want to mention is that uh, not that anything really has been positive about the the pandemic over the last year but it, one thing that it has done i think has shown a lot of companies and publishers of role-playing games that the virtual world of tabletop uh role-playing games is something that deserves uh the you know uh, the appropriate amount of time and attention because so many people were forced to go exclusively into virtual tabletops uh being able to offer you know, legitimate official RPG products on virtual tabletops is huge. And I'm glad to see both the quality is there and the, you know, it's not just, just the core book. We're getting all of these supplements with the rules integrated with the, uh, you know, everything in those systems and it looks great. And from what we've done in our testing, it's all worked really well too. Yeah. I sure have. Yeah, and then, and there's some real benefits to like um and, and don't get me wrong, right? There are a couple downsides. I definitely like I mean, at the end of the day, if I could snap my finger and play a game in person versus over the virtual tabletop, most of the time I guess I I'd rather do that. Um but it's not like it used to be, right? Where uh these virtual tabletops make it so that the the gap between 
that feeling of being in person and not being in person is much smaller than it used to be. And there are some huge advantages that are greater over that, um, mostly like the ease of, right, you don't have to figure out miniatures and all of that. It's real easy to put the map down and everybody can see it. So there are huge advantages too. So we're, again, we'll go over that. We'll have a show where we're going to talk all about this stuff and it'll be coming soon, but it's, uh, it's good stuff. Overall, I mean, spoiler alert, uh, VTTs are, that they've done are awesome. Um, so there you have it. And hey, I must mention, it it calculates your roles for you. Yeah. I can't understate that. <laughs> like, <laughs> with all your stats, with all the wounds, with all the you know pluses, minuses, your different weapons, what what you know what's if it has impale, it calculates all that for you. Yeah which saves so much time. Uh, it's just a wonderful experience. Well, and the other thing too, right along with that is, I mean, that, that can be the difference between life and death. You know, if you're making a roll and you forget that your item, specific item you have has this quality or the beast Absolutely. you're going up against has this trait, it, uh, there, there can be, as we've seen, a lot of record keeping when it comes to big fights like that and having it, uh, a system to where all those things are calculated right in as you play is huge. Yeah. It makes it to where those little, those little mistakes, like, Oh, I forgot to put in my advantage, but that was, you know, two rounds ago, you know, do we do, you know, do we have to back up? Do we redo it? No, it's just, it handles all those things for you. Really? Yeah. Uh, that's quality stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say this, if I'm going to plan a big combat encounter with like 20, 30 skeletons, like I've done in the past, way easier on the VTT to run that as a GM. All right. So we still have a whole show and more news to go through. So let's, let's move on other new stuff that we have on news. The horned rat has released and, um, it is really good. Um, I, I am. So this one I really struggled with. Um, I actually did some reading into this. I I'm trying to avoid spoilers for the most part on the enemy within because I plan to either run it or, or playing it someday. And I haven't had that opportunity yet. Um, but I just couldn't help myself because of the setting and because of what's in there. And so I kind of did some digging and it's really, really good. It's a very interesting storyline um, that really takes you to some places in the old world that quite honestly, like with my knowledge, would terrify me uh, to go. And so I'm super excited uh, about this storyline. Um, and uh, of course, this is kind of new. This is all new, right? This is the director's cut of The Enemy Within. And this has replaced something rotten in Kislev, if you would, uh, you know, in the, in the order. And, and it's very good. So we had a great article on the horned rat that's out there too at cubicle seven. Um, and we have, uh, some stuff we can expect for the companion, which, uh, sounds really cool, including more Skaven stuff, history, spells, weapons, etc., new encounters, uh, GM Guide to the Yellow Fang, which is like a Skaven worshiping cult. A new career, Dwarf Ironbreak, which the Ironbreaker for the dwarves is probably the most armored and defensive troop in the old world. I can't wait mm -hmm. to see that. I have it on, on good authority that it's a very beefy career. So hope to hear more on that. And then uh, we got some more adventures and stuff in there, including a couple of callbacks and Return of the Grave Lords. So uh, go check that uh, article out. Uh, but that article includes more than just the cool Skaven stuff that's coming in the Horned Rat Companion and the Horned Rat itself. We have 
Horned Rat Journals. This one came out of left field. I wasn't expecting this at all. There's a GM journal and a player journal that you can buy. They look beautiful, but the GM's journal contains like line pages, dotted grids for mapping and combat, and NPC trackers. It even has a Horned Rat evidence tracker. And so, I mean, it's it's a, like a tool to help you run the Horned Rat. And the player's journal on the other side has character sheets, space for notes, um, diagrams, maps, an unmarked map of the city of Middenheim, which I think is a really cool idea. Um, I, I honestly, I want to see this in person um, or, you know, see the interior of it uh, to get a better idea. It sounds like a cool concept, but I was, I was surprised to see that. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Well, I have no doubt that the, the overall quality is going to be, uh, really nice just based on what we know from cubicle seven it is a little i guess odd maybe or peculiar to me that they uh we didn't see anything like this for the first three releases of the enemy within yeah yeah um, i think that too i think some of that might have to do with the fact that this one has a little bit more of like the you know the evidence and the clues where you're trying to i think diligent note taking is going to be more important maybe in mm, this section right. of the enemy within but that doesn't mean that, I mean, certainly there are people that would want, uh, you know, a really nice player journal or GM journal. Honestly, I, I know that my spiral bound notebook that I, I call it my star Wars Bible. That's <laughs> has every single adventure that I've ran all broken down with all my notes, all my NPCs, you know, the different twists and turns that, I mean, that's just in a cheap, you know, 75 cent spiral bound notebook. Uh, if I could could have had the the forethought to have put that in a nice journal of some sort, I probably would have. Yeah. So it's a nice product. Uh, like you said, I'd like to see kind of the interior of it a little bit more. See what what like the map looks like. See what the the different diagrams and things are that are in there. But uh, overall, I, I'm I'm sure it's a nice product. Yeah. Yep. And I think they they run about. It looks like they're pre order. They're available for pre order now, and they're running about. Uh, like $20 a piece, if I remember correctly. I didn't write it in the okay. show notes, but I'm going to go try to find that out now. But while okay. while I'm trying to find that out, there's more. Were you going to say something, Steve? Sorry. No, I was, I was just going to say that I think it's a great idea, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I am surprised they didn't do it with the previous ones, but I, you know, as things, I mean, it's, it's kind of feels like the golden age of uh, these types of role-playing games. So I think they're spreading their wings on, hey, what can we do? And I think it'll definitely, if you get it, I think it'll benefit you um, in your experience playing it. But I've yet to, you know, see the insides as well. So uh, I'm sure that with Cubicle 7s, how they've been doing things, I'm, I'm sure it's just, just going to be a pleasure to use while you game. Right. Yeah. So I, I almost I, think. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I did pull those up, and it looks like they're $19.99 a piece. So if you want to go get them, they're available on Cubicle 7's website for pre-order. Yeah, I almost wonder if it would have been maybe a better idea just to have, like, a the Enemy Within guide, right? Or the Enemy Within player journal or GM journal. Obviously, that's a that's a lot, right? Um, yeah. At least I, 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 the GM side, especially, you could probably get away <laughs> with having one per section, but for the players, maybe it would, you know, probably don't need, won't, won't fill it the same way a GM would, that's for sure. Yeah. 
So another thing that they dropped in there too, uh, in that article was some awesome new dice trays. Um, and the artwork on all three is, I mean, just awesome. Uh, two of them were done by Sam Manley. There's the clockwork horse and the electric count. And then one by JG, um, uh, Donahue or O'Donohue rather, um, which is the Middenheim, which, uh, which is the one with the bridge, uh, going into Middenheim with the, the different little watch posts going up to the, the rampart, I guess you would say, <laughs> which is just a beautiful, beautiful piece of artwork. So, all right, we're going to bounce over to our sister games. Shortly, uh, for Warhammer Age of Sigmar Soulbound, we're going to have an OWP bonus episode for you. Uh, we plan to do the bonus episode where we run the starter set for Age of Sigmar. Uh, we're going to see how the game plays, uh, so be on the lookout for that in the upcoming episodes um, in the, the near future here. Uh, as far as Warhammer 40,000 Wrath of Glory, uh, with the starter set, uh, Cubicle 7 has confirmed they are working on a starter set, and we should expect more news soon. I'm excited about that because uh, to me, if I'm going to do a one shot and try a system, a starter set's how you do it. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, getting a Wrath and Glory starter set, because uh, we're going to try out Age of Sigmar. I fully intend to try out Wrath and Glory at some point as well. So, uh, definitely want to see that one. Excited to see that one come down the line. Yeah, me too. I'm definitely a Warhammer 40K fan. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm curious. Very, very curious. Um, as far as everything, you can find this and more online at www.cubicle7games.com. Awesome. All right. So let's get into the main topic, the meat of the show. Uh, so on today's show, uh, this is an exciting one because I can personally say that I believe currently Archives might be my favorite release for 4th edition. Maybe tied with the Death on the Right Companion, but right now archives is so good um so we're going to talk about it and in tonight it's, it's okay to be wrong it's okay to be wrong it's okay things. to be wrong i don't know clearly clearly rough nights and hard <laughs> days is because how well we wouldn't have dikmir oh there we go and half our listeners are gone yep i was just gonna say and there we go uh, <laughs> no um it's really good though so uh, tonight, we're going to take a closer look at Archives of the Empire, Volume 1, and going to let you know what we think and our thoughts on the content and how you might use it. So, Old Worlders, come join us as we dodge Badger Riders and avoid the scouts of both Elves and Dwarves as we review the Archives of the Empire, Volume 1, on tonight's episode of the Old World Podcast. All right, so chapter one goes right into the grand provinces of the Empire, and there are a lot. But basically, uh, it, it, it starts in the Empire in the year 2512 IC, so that puts that time frame there. Um, overall, it, it's just before the opening of the Enemy Within, but... Uh, Pretty much after that, the Empire Ruins, you know, the fifth installment of the campaign, that's where kind of things change after this. So it goes through each province, and it gives specific information, like official name, uh, the ruler, government that they have. Uh, some of them are funny. <laughs> uh, their capital, uh, internal provinces, notable Fristroids, Fristrats. Free, freed stats, I think. Notable free, free stats. Free, free, the free towns, I think that that's essentially what it means. Yep. 
Yeah. And uh, primary exports uh, like Everland uh, gives like their their primary exports cattle, fashionable clothing, fine porcelain, horses, leather goods, and wine. And it breaks it down. Um, each one it, it tells about their land, uh, where they are, kind of what the land looks like, the feel. Uh, it also explains the people, um, kind of like their lineage, uh, their culture. And, and each one of these go in depth where you can really like, if you want to start off in one of these provinces, you kind of know, you know, if you're from that province, you know, kind of how to start kind of your character, you know, the feel of things. And then it gives like a, a significant place within it. Um, so that kind of goes on. And we have the provinces of Averland, Middenheim, Middenheim. Yeah, uh, I think that's kind of the cool, the, the coolest one, just based off of what it is. Well, and I think the cool thing about this chapter is like each of these provinces has like one to two pages, and it's like kind of like what what you might need to know like from a high level, right? Um, exactly. Yep. You know, just like hey, you know, if you need to have a general idea of these different provinces. And, and it's and it's not like specifically just the provinces. The major cities are in here too, like Nuln and Tabakland um, are in there as well. It's so it's it's really it's really good stuff. I, I kind of equate it to the second edition Sigmar's Heirs, um, where it's just kind of uh, each province gives you kind of just a, a quick breakdown from a high level review, you know what's significant there who's who are the people what are the people like what's the land and the geography like from a you know you, but you only have two pages to fit all this information right. in the right. very high o overview of of the land yeah right. about one or two pages each uh the artwork's beautiful um with with everything that they have here uh, one one thing that i didn't see was kind of like I, i'm actually surprised they didn't have a, a couple page empire map and like yeah. kind of like as each section like Averland have kind of like maybe little miniature empire map stamping where that realm lies you know just to get a better because i mean not everyone has a full empire map um <laughs> I have a nice one of the Reichland, but you know, I'm curious. I'm wondering if, oh, well, no, I was just wondering if maybe what the uh, the inside cover is going to be, but I don't think it's going to hmm. be. But that's a good point. I, I I feel like that's that might be a miss here because it would be really nice to because you know similar. Think of how they did Middenheim. Um, and Altdorf, right, where they have the map and then they kind of focus in on each section of the map as they're going through yeah. the books. I think that would have been nice for, for this as well, and, and a map of the Empire and then showing where each province is. Territory is marked yeah. and kind of what their realm is. Because um, like, like I said, once I got later into the book, like when we're talking about Krak, Asgaraz, you know, I was able to find those certain locations on the map, which was awesome. Right. Um, but I'm just surprised that they didn't mark them, but either way, um, this section is, is, is very nice. You know, it goes through each of the provinces, details, things for campaigns, get a feel for each one, what they trade, um, kind of how they got started, who the leader is, kind of how they function at that point. And overall, the provinces that they list, um, Averland, Middenheim, Middenland, Nuln, Osland, 
the Reichland. Obviously, that's that's the one we all know from the starter set mm-hmm. in the beginning. Um, Sterling, Suddenland, Ablikland, and Alibheim. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of this chapter. I love the fact that they can condense what is what could be full, you know, 10 page uh-huh. chapters or more on each of these into just a single page. It's the kind of thing that I, if I was running a, an adventure in the Reichland's a perfect example. If I wanted my players to know about the Reichland, if I sent them the chapter, the glorious Reichland chapter from the starter set or from the core book, I doubt more than one of my players would spend the time to read a whole chapter of, you know, of that book versus this, I can print off a single page. You know, there's not going to be spoilers in here necessarily for the things that I are going to be in my game. Right. Maybe, maybe the significant place, if I wanted to, to build a whole scenario around a specific place, but I feel like this is the kind of information that if we think back to like grade school, the information that you get about other countries, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't pages and pages and pages and chapters that you needed to remember about each one. This almost feels like this is the information, common knowledge that everybody in the world would have of these places. They're not going to know necessarily know every tiny little city or town or village in an area, but they are going to know as a whole, what the land there is like, what the people are like, you know, and the, the capital and the exports, this boils that down into a really convenient small package that uh, is a makes for great handouts for players. If you're going to be in one of these locations, right? Yeah. And that's only the first 20 pages of this amazing book. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, even, even at that, right. 20 pages versus trying to like, uh, again, this could be a whole whole 80 pages if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Or more even, right. If you really wanted to go in depth on each of these, you could have a, a book the size of the core book that really broke all of it down. Right. Whereas, you know, if this is just 20 pages, that's to, to get such a, a strong basic understanding of what the different eras are like 20 pages is a pretty small investment as far as uh, the amount of time it would take to get through all of that. And by the end of it, I think you'd have a pretty darn good understanding of those areas as a whole. Absolutely. And uh, Matt, before we move on and, and move into the, the section on, on halflings and stuff, I wanted to mention to the listeners from an overall point of view, if you don't already have archives, um, this is a really nice breakdown of the way they do this book. Um, because essentially we have these grand provinces, but then you kind of break it up with halfling dwarves and elves. Um, and it's it's an interesting concept there. Um, because we get a lot more information uh, on these different pieces. So it's almost, I don't want to say like, oh, this is the halfling book or this is the elf book or whatever. But I mean, in a lot of sense, I mean, you have most everything you need. <laughs> yeah, so. and, and, I, and I will say that this book is also kind of like a historical book in a sense that they give a lot of dates that correlate with like the greater timeline, like from the main rule book, mm-hmm. you know, you can look back and be like, Oh, it happened around this time. And, and just how every kind of culture intertwined within, you know, these times, it really gives a good, nice timeline uh, throughout the book. Probably also a good time to mention that we know for a fact that we're going to get archives of the empire volume two. And if this is kind of, what we should expect moving forward 
you know, this breakdown of, of, you know, f- learning more about the provinces of different provinces and then breaking down each one. Uh, it's hard to say what exactly is going to be in the, the next archives. I don't think we have too much concrete information I, on that yet. But. I, I actually go listen. If we go, if you go back and listen to our last episode with Padraig, um, it was episode 37 power behind the Padraig. Um, he does a great give us, title for an episode, by yeah, the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> power behind the Padraig. Um, no, you awesome. go, you go listen to that episode. He actually gives us quite a bit in there. So here are a few things we can expect from archives too. We haven't even finished <laughs> talking about archives one, but for archives two, we know we're going to get ogres. We know we're going to get GM advice on handling ogre PCs in your games. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there's going to be a whole cultural background. Like it sounds like a deep dive into ogres. Um, which I think is really cool. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to be focused on just ogres within the empire or ogres as a race, but it'll be interesting to, to see that. Um, we also know that there's going to be rules for star signs, um, which is really awesome um, where you can affect like your yeah, like skills and characteristics with your star sign. It's kind of like giving you a bonus to one thing and a negative to another, which is really cool. Um, and yeah. the great hospice is another thing that we know that's going to be in the archives too, as well. Um, so I could tell you just on that. I mean, it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's only just uh, not to, not to speculate too much, but you know, if they have a, archives of the empire volumes one and two there's nothing saying we couldn't get three four five to infinity let's be real come on well i'm actually so much to talk about right i'm actually hoping that that maybe eventually we'll see something like archives of lustria or archives of nagarath or archives you know of the southlands uh you know especially maybe for some of those areas where maybe an entire book isn't necessary um, but you want to give players a little bit of information to be able to do something. Um, so it really depends on how much control Games Workshop will give them. Like, who knows? So, like, let's say like you could easily do an entire book on the Southlands and, um, you know, Arby and the Tomb Kings and everything that's going on down there, right? Um, that that deserves its own source book. But if 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 we can't get a source book, then an archives for for it would be great absolutely and technically speaking with archives i'm i mean once they're done with the empire there's like like you said lancers lustria maybe bretonia astalia albion you know those could be all in one um who knows they could even go to hey let's get one archives for the goblins orcs that's the heck of it you know and see now that you say that i feel like bretonia 100 deserves its own book but I would say Estalia, Talia, and Sarasota, the the pirate kingdom, those, those border three, princes, yeah, the board, man, again, border princes. I would argue would deserve its own book too, but but yeah, no, it could be, yeah, man. There's so much of this world that sounds like incredibly fun adventuring that we've yet to to look into, like Albion. How about Albion? That's yes. a place that I want to uh... see. Yeah. The legend from the tabletop game. Oh. Own... <laughs> you know, it, so you cool. know, there's a Fen Beast, right? We already have Fen Beasts in the game, so I feel like Albion just has to happen. So we're way off topic. Uh, <laughs> it's so yep. fun to talk about what might be, though. 
Yeah. It is it is fun to speculate, and I mean, it's so great just knowing how much is out there and how much content they can pull from. That uh, yeah, it's good stuff. So moving on, chapter two in Archives Volume One is dedicated to the halfling clans of the Reichland. So this chapter is must read if you are going to have halflings really featured in your adventure. Tons of history breakdowns of the how the moot came to be, how the uh, the various clans of the the halflings with information about their history, their uh, tons of NPCs, uh, and some really fun a fun twist of character creation, which we'll get to here in a second. So to start out, the first uh, 12 or 13 pages or so of this break down the 12 most common clans of halflings that you find in the Reichland. Not all of these are paired with an NPC, but most of them are. Yeah, most of them are, yeah. Um, and each one is going to give you again a breakdown of their the what they're known for, whether it's being you know soldiers or patrollers like the Ashfield clan, the the, the Moot's oldest farming family, which are the Brandy Snaps, the uh, Rumsters, which are famous for their pies and pastries. I I actually <laughs> th- this is fun for me because I, again I. I don't have quite the same knowledge of the old world as, uh, as you guys do. And probably a lot of our listeners do and just learning some more about how the halflings and the different races have came to be and, and how they get along with each other. I loved reading through the Hayfoots and the Hollyfoots and their and because of them, the Hayfoot Hollyfoot, which yeah. is like a bloodline <laughs> dispute between these two clans. I just thought it was super neat. Uh, I think we've even talked in the past about how, why there wasn't a uh, halfling, uh, why you couldn't be a halfling noble. Well, the Thorn Cobble clan is essentially their answer to that uh, with an option, an optional rule where if you roll, if you have the noble blood talent, you can choose to become a noble as a halfling, which I thought was really neat. Yeah. Yeah, one thing too, I think that is uh, pretty awesome is if you look at on um, page twenty eight, uh, Bella, that artwork. When I saw her, I'm like, that's like the female version of Hag. From from our actual play, I immediately nice. thought that. That's how I've always envisioned him, except you know the the male version of that. But just and that. their stats are uh, well that well that particular NBC stats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's pretty uh, pretty good. Yeah. Brawling fifty nine, yeah. endurance sixty, <laughs> alcohol sixty. <laughs> to be Bella, to be, uh, to Bella be Slow Haven the fourth. Yeah, Be- Bella is is much better at what she does than Hag ever was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, has she ever tried to get sieved through prison bars? I doubt. Yeah, it. I mean, would she survive that? <laughs> Lord knows, Hag didn't. <laughs> Good old hag. Oh, hag. Uh, so this section ends with an excellent optional uh, table that you can have. One of my that is, favorite in the whole book. Yep, yep. One of my favorites in the book as well. And I think this table uh, that's on page 32 in the book should really be pulled and uh, fo- you know photocopy this page, stick it right in the character creation of the core book, because this lets you specify what clan your halfling uh character that you're creating is from 
and therefore it has additional skills that that clan would specifically have and additional talents that that clan could potentially have, which is just a, a really neat way of just twisting it a little bit, giving a little bit more customization over your uh, halfling that you're going to be playing as and make it give you another way to make it unique from any other halfling that you would roll up and create. Absolutely. It, it's, it's about, it's dripping with a different theme. And so it feels like it helps you in, in your character creation to, to feel like your choice of clan matters. Right. Yeah. And it, it's a really interesting way to do it. Right. So instead of trying to make like 12 different, essentially species, right. They allow you to just like have a slight variation on, on the halfling species. So it's, it's a great way to do it. Yeah, this feels kind of similar to what they did in the Middenheim book, where they have the Nordlanders, Midlander, the Middenheimer, where it's you're still rolling the same basic character as you were before, mm-hmm. but you know, in this case, there's a breakdown of all the different clans. There's I think four skills, additional skills for each, and then a choice of additional talent for each. Uh, and like you said, this is a great way to like just make your character a little more focused and a little more uh, special, I guess, than you would just out of the core book. Absolutely. So, I, uh, I, I guess I have something to say about the next the next chapter, but I, I'm going to wait until you you lead us in. All right, chapter three is the guide to the Grand County of the Mootland. So this is going to give you as about 14 pages. That it is a breakdown of the history of the Mootland, how the halflings came to the world. The, how it was created, the electors, its borders, the politics, uh, as well as a section that's all about various landmarks in the area uh, with a lot of fun stuff uh, sprinkled throughout. So so if you so if you were sad about um, our our concern about a lack of a map of the provinces in chapter one, ooh boy, did they make up for it in this chapter? Because right. the map of the Mootland is so good it is it's and you know i we have kind of mentioned this but it it is one of the few maps in this book but it it does look really nice that would be one that would uh, i think probably be deserving of a a full size framed on the wall you're probably already planning that if i know you lance (laughs) i'm starting i'm actually starting to wonder what i'm going to do cubicle seven keeps releasing these poster size maps that i gotta have i I only have so much wall space so um yeah, but no, it's a, it's a great map. And this chapter is so good with lots of story hooks, too. Plenty of story hooks, yeah. Yeah. The two or four in each page. This one has a full page that is a breakdown of the timeline specific to the halflings that's yes. formatted the same way as we've seen in uh, through a, uh, a lot of books up to this point uh, that, that breaks everything down starting at uh, 200 IC all the way up to 2512. So there's there's plenty uh, plenty to look at right in there, as well as like you said, Lance. There are story hooks throughout. There is one of my favorite tables, and this is one that I almost feel like it could be expanded upon. But also, if I was a halfling player, I would have this like stapled to my character sheet, and that is a way to randomize euphemisms. Oh yeah, and this it's is just so good. One of those little things that's just. So funny. It even says on here that it can be 
you know, add this colorful language to any encounter. And it even specifies that it, you're, you don't even need to know what any of it means. So let's see here. <laughs> uh, magicking the pie crusts. Yes. Or shooting the wizard's tower. I mean, <laughs> they really, they really work well. Uh, as, the, uh, the hilarious as thing is, right, is you could easily have this happen anyway, right? So you say magicking, man, that person was really magicking the pie crust. And then, you know, everyone laughs. And then someone else says they were, what was the second one? Shooting the wizard's tower, right? Like, shooting the wizard's tower, so yeah. like, Oh, no, I think they were shooting the wizard's tower. And you could be like, oh, she immediately slaps him. Like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, like and I don't everybody's know. Everybody's offended. Yeah, everyone goes quiet. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you say such a thing? Oh, it's it's really good. It's perfect and very it, halfling esque the way yeah. it, the the chart is. That that brings me to another fun. Uh, this is a little bit later in this chapter, but it's the half and half, which is another um, sidebar that specifically tells you ways that you can make halfling dialects. So this, this is just another, another way to like really bring on the immersion of uh, this, this world. It's something that I've never really gotten into a whole lot. Lance, I know you do some stuff with voices. That's, that uh, is really fun, but this is just a great way of showing you how they would speak things that they would say, how they would act. So things like dropping consonants, vowel lengthening, um, metaphor reversals, hand gestures, all things that you would see halflings doing. And again, just a fun way to kind of tie that into your games and to, to give even more flavor of the world as you're playing. So there's one one thing I want to point out that it might be my favorite thing in, in this chapter as far as like all the background and stuff is the Grand Tour. Oh, yeah. I had that underlined and circled on my page. Go ahead. <laughs> well, just no, it's it's just the whole concept. And I think the artwork that's on the, the next page there, right? That would be like page 39. Um, just says you got a halfling here that's wearing like uh, like fake boots that make it looks like there's some sort of uh, beast that they're tracking. And and the entire thing is like uh, it's 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 a scam. For yeah. you know, for for the big people, like it's it brings them in, gets their money, and they think yep. that they're hunting or tracking some rare thing, and and it doesn't exist. It's it's so funny. Yep, the code phrase used by the Mooters is the Grand Tour. The halfing announces that certain folk are here for the Grand Tour and inquire or it uh, inquires or inquires if they have had a Grand Tour. It's code for everyone with an earshot. That these people are marks and should play along with whatever deceptions they can imagine. What a fun thing! There, there's Just even play you know, along. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's some great bullet points in here on on how to do that, uh, and and um, yeah, some some cool art to go along with it. I mean, I loved other history. Just just a couple of uh, examples. Four twenty one. I see the pie war begins. <laughs> or twenty two thirty one. I see the flan is made illegal. But unlawful baking continues. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. just, <laughs> uh, such a different history than, you know, there was a huge battle and people died and just their own little. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Good stuff. And I think so. It's one of the cool things about halflings. Um, right. The thing about halflings is, is how I would separate them from um, 
like hobbits, right, from the Lord of the Rings, right? Halflings are very kind of similar, right, in in the thought that they love baking and, you know, and all the things we kind of talked about. But there is like a intense battle hard inside to these guys. I mean, they have, they share borders with Sylvania, um, deal with undead and Skaven, yeah, and Skaven. orc attacks from the mountains. I mean... That sure they're fun loving and pie baking and you know rolling hills picturesque kind of people right, um, but they are also hardened warriors that have to deal with these problems on their borders. Yep, it's it's a very interesting dichotomy. Uh, they're great shooters, so definitely include one if you want some range support in your group. Yeah, I think that, that, that pretty much does it. I mean, there, this is, a, again, a great chapter. Until we get a, a halfling-dedicated book, which we might down the line, this this definitely is an excellent supplement for anybody that's playing a halfling or if you're going to have halflings really featured in your game. And and I'll say this to you. Um, before this book, this book, Archives here, I don't know how I would have run any sort of adventure in the Mootland. Like, it would be nothing more than... A, we're traveling through now I could see a whole adventure or even campaign taking place in the Mootland, and it would be a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. Now we're going to talk about Imperial dwarfs. Uh, this chapter, uh, page 49 through 70, uh, it has a lot of information about Imperial dwarfs, how they live, their history, Imperial dwarf society, dwarf settlements, examples like, like that. And then it's a guide to Carrick Asgaraz, which has its own huge hi- history overall. Um, so pretty much the Imperial Dwarves, uh, they've lived with humanity for a long time. They have their own clans, but I mean, their dealings with humans go back before Sigmar was even around. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go too in-depth with, with uh, the history there, but let, let's just say that nowadays they are... I wouldn't say equal citizens in Imperial, but it depends on, I guess, where they're where they're based on within the realm. Yeah, um, but I I like how so I think this chapter so this is hard for me because as a a longtime dwarf player, both Steve and I have played dwarves in the the battle game. Uh, we each probably own a half dozen dwarf books from Warhammer. Um, none of this stuff is like new to us potentially really. Um, you know, it just talks about the concept, but to someone that might be playing a dwarf that might not know much about dwarves, having an understanding of the Imperial dwarf society, how the elders work versus that of like a Karak dwarf, which is like dwarves from the mountains. Um, it's, it's basic good information. So like if you're a dwarf player, um, it's, I would argue like you need, you should read this, this, this chapter will really help you have a good understanding of dwarfs and the empire. Um, and then where Karak Asgaraz is like kind of a specific hold, which isn't in the empire, but borders the empire in the uh, gray mountains. And it gives a lot more of that information, similar to the Mootland chapter, right? Where there's like story hooks and it gives you background of the specific realm of, Karak Asgaraz. That's really cool. Oh, yeah, sure. And, and and through the chapter, like, it tells you kind of how, you know, the dwarves kind of uh, started with the humans and met other humans. 
um, how they taught them how to forge iron weapons, um, how they helped, uh, how the humans helped uh, the, the High King Kurgan Ironbeard survive, and how you know Sigmar became the you know the empire or the emperor, and kind of said, you know, please dwarves come. We he bade them to bring their skills and help build the new empires, towns, and cities. So that kind of how things started. But let's not say they weren't persecuted. There's been some emperors that weren't very good good to them. That's listed in the history. Um, they're kind of how they got past that. I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but let, let's just say I didn't know that there were too many dwarf assassins. But definitely they took their time to make sure that they wouldn't be persecuted like they were in the Empire uh, again um, by what they did. So there's a little background there. Um it talks about how the Black Plague kind of broke the empire. Nine, nine out of ten people died during it. So, you know, during that time, the dwarves really restructured their settlements as fortifications as well from defense from outside and within. Um, it tells about how they built the tunnels, you know, for escape routes so they wouldn't be trapped. Empire Reborn, you know, after the dwarves helped uh, against a victory against Chaos, Magnus von Bilhoffen, he reunited the empire. It just goes on and on, and then it talks about really dwarf uh, society. The clan elders, you know, are usually the oldest living member of the clan, uh, whom they look for wisdom and decision making on matters affecting the entire clan. Uh, it goes on to talk about that they're responsible. They're responsible for maintaining a few books. Uh, the Book of Grudges, uh, my favorite one, I used to use a lot. <laughs> um, they have one, uh, the Book of Remembrance. They have the Book of Debt. In the book of ancestors so all this you know they maintain they have a huge historical they mark everything down and scratch things off that have been taken care of for for the record uh, steve every serious dwarf player has a a book of grudges oh, i still have oh, mine as have well <laughs> yep i got mine too so uh, it go it goes about the clans how, how they function how they function outside the clans for certain members that really you know kind of are outside even even the clans um and it goes to talk about Imperial Runesmiths, which I thought was interesting because uh, they, they don't practice their craft openly. In fact, yeah. once they lost their Karak, they moved like as far west as they could away from from uh, the world's edge there. So they could be as far away as they can. And even though you may see a dwarf working at, as a blacksmith, he might be one of the Runesmiths. It, yeah. It's just you don't know. Yeah, I found uh, that I am such a huge fan of the the lore behind Dwarf Runesmith and, uh, you know, it, it's the Smiths themselves. I imagine we're going to get Runesmiths in the Magic Supplement when it comes out, similar to the way uh, six, or, uh, Second Edition did it with Realms of Sorcery. But, yeah, I, that was something actually so I, I was I kind of made it like, oh, there's nothing new for me here. But that's something I didn't realize, um, and maybe I'd known it and forgotten it, but that the uh, that there are runesmiths in the empire but they work in secret and um yes. that man that talk about a story hook uh, idea right there right talk about how powerful they are mm -hmm. I, I i mean they re maintain communication with one another via a rune of distance engraved on a medallion all they do have to have to do is tap it they can speak with someone else over a distance of 100 miles or 10 minutes they have cell phones they have cell phones. That's true. <laughs> yeah, they have they have cell phones. So I, I mean, just powerful. <laughs> I, I didn't even think about uh, that. That's so true. Uh, think about it. it like runesmiths <laughs> could make like a an elite like 
talking about dwarf assassins, right? Can you imagine like an elite dwarf yes. seal team? If they were, they all have these little captains given those. talking in their ear, yeah. like earbuds. <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, that was good stuff. Um, the next section kind of goes to um, how imperial dwarves are generally like treated and how they get along with their manling neighbors, and also how the Carrick dwarves kind of view the imperial dwarves. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's like, they're the same people, but different structures of strictness in society and how they're supposed to do things. Yeah. I, I actually think this is really interesting because you could kind of argue it's similar to a caste system, um, yeah. but it's not as harsh as you might think a caste system because you have the characters, but even the characters among the characters, you have the, the holds of the old world or the world's Ed's mountains, right? Well, they would still look down at those in the holds in the gray mountains. Cause the gray mountains are like the poor characters, but the, those characters still would look down on Imperial doors. Cause you're not, you don't have a true Carrick. You don't, you don't live in the mountains. Right. And so it's, it's a very interesting uh, kind of relationship there, but a- any dwarf would look at a dwarf, you know, above a measly human, right? Like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter where you are; you're still a dwarf. And and even like the Carrick dwarf clans will kind of refer to the Imperial dwarves as manling dwarves, right? <laughs> right, Flatlanders. So it, it's kind of kind of insultful, but you know, from their old age of being a Carricks for thousands of years, and now it's kind of you know their golden age is gone. So they, you know. Culturally, they're dealing with, you know, what can some dwarves do? Some make a living in the imperial world. Some are starting new Carracks. It's just, yeah, huge, huge history of these things. Uh, it goes on to dwarf settlements, what they have. They usually have a stronghold within, of course. Uh, it really goes into the depth of the tavern. It's the center of dwarf life in any district. <laughs> Larger dwarf settlements have up to 10 or more taverns or bars you know and even the smallest one has at least one so it goes on to you know tell how they are how they're liked uh they like to gamble as well uh their breweries things like that uh, it goes on like their smithies uh there it talks about their hidden ways how pretty much every city that, that has dwarves has tunnels underneath that go somewhere as escape routes uh the nobility Sometimes they turn a blind eye, but definitely they don't like it that they don't know. <laughs> um, and one part about the hidden ways that they have, uh, it mentions should anyone outside an Imperial Dwarf community manage to enter the tunnels, uh, they find the passages well-built, brightly lit, clean, regularly patrolled. But intruders quickly learn that the Grim Dwarf guards are humorless towards it, efficient and efficient in removing the, tr- the trespassers. Uh, the resulting interrogations are not for the faint-hearted. So I thought that was funny. Like, you may just happen to uh, press one button, press a stone. You're in somewhere where you have no idea, and that could be your worst day of your life. <laughs> uh, it goes on to talk about uh, the Temple of Grungy Ancestor Gods. Um, it gives some some NPCs that, you know, you can kind of get examples with. And these dwarves are stacked. Um, like Ulrich Skaxon has a weapon skill of 78. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Ballistic skill of 57. It shows it shows him with pistols, dual pistols. His willpower 79. Just a beast. 
Um, and it j j just goes, give some further ones um, like Imperial Dwarves and kind of stats and kind of some history of some ones if you want to use them in your campaigns. Uh, the next section is also quite big. Uh, it's like page 59 to 70, so not huge, huge, but good 11 pages on Carrick Asgaraz. Um, that the place is actually older than the empire itself. Um, it's pretty and, much and the northernmost, yeah. And it's still considered a young yeah. Carrick, right? <laughs> it's still considered new by dwarf standards. And and I really liked how they went in depth with this because uh, we've been in the Reich land for qu quite some time, um, and this kind of plays into effect because Carrick Asgaraz they are kind of like the kin of the ones that actually helped build their bridges and their walls, you know, for that city, and they're more than enthusiastic to go back and help rebuild them, you know, for a price. So um, they're rather close. Uh, what was surprised me where because I have the glorious Reichland map in front of me. So I, I see where Carrick Asgaraz is, and they have a special road that leads. That's like it's more dwarf-built, safe road that leads to U to Ubersreich. And they gave a numbers here. Let me see if I if I can find it real quick. So Ubersreich is to the north of Carrick Asgaraz, some sixty miles, and can be reached by a decently maintained trading road in about four days. Now I'm looking at the map, and I see where Carrick Asgaraz is in and Ubersreich is, and if that's 60 miles, and I just have a map of just the glorious Reichland, I mean, the scale of the Empire is colossal. Yeah, it's huge. It's, it's just utterly vast. For fourth edition definitely increased the scale of the Empire a bit. There's a lot of, there was a lot of discussion when that map first came out. But yeah, it is huge. And uh, overall here, um, it goes over the history of... of of, Al of Algaraz, and pretty much it goes through because it's so old that it, it even went through uh, the War of Vengeance and literally got sacked and, and defeated uh, up to three times by the elves. By the third time, they kind of cut ties, they're gone. Um, <laughs> but then it tells how, you know, uh, clans and exiles had came back and over three centuries, they kind of rebuilt it to a proper correct. And it kind of prospered and grew um and overall yeah it just goes over a deep history even has like some uh how do you say kazalid words so technically uh asgaraz means fearless axes and it, it just keeps going over the history of how it's been lost retaken lost retaken rebuilt and now it's ever stronger than it's ever been uh, it really goes to talk about destabilizing the borders. They have enemies, orcs coming from the west and the mountains. Uh, just are, they're always surrounded by a foe. It goes on to like kind of how they viewed past wars between Ubersreich and the Bretonian rival Paravan, where they kind of like just just watched back in amusement uh, as as like these four wars went on over time. Uh, and then it gives a timeline of the Carrick. Asgaraz history, which, you know, lists it all. But but it's just a crucial place now for trading, uh, for securing the southern border of the empire as well, uh, for trade. And it just keeps growing. Uh, the new king that they list uh, is King Thuringar Zeladrinson Orkhewer. And he's kind of a newer dwarf king. He's kind of like more of the newer age ones where he's, instead of waiting for attacks... 
he's kind of preemptively striking them and going for their leaders, whether it be Orc or Goblin or Skaven in the Underdeeps and in, uh, up broad. So the ancestors take that as a certain, um, they don't like it, but they also kind of agree that it's kind of a necessity and let's see how things go. I thought that was interesting, you know, uh, you know, the, a new dwarf lord kind of thinking that way, you know, let, let, let's take the fight to them first before they can even bug us. Uh, goes on more, just gives some some big names of the Council of Elders for there and the Master Engineer. Um, and it gives stats for them. Uh, it has a really, really cool picture of kind of their king on page 63, like yeah, just surrounded awesome. by. <laughs> and these, these guys look intense. They got skulls on like their steps up, orc skulls on the steps up to like his throne. But uh, it, it's just like their armor, just it looks awesome. Yeah, this is uh, like, and this is like the king of of a poor hold. Like, it just makes you wonder, like, right, like one of the ancient holds of the uh, the old the, the uh, world's as mountains. Like, what does their throne room look like? <laughs> this is right. It's so good, and I, man, I want to say Sam Manley did this piece too. I don't remember, but um, it, it's so good. The lighting is is really well done on this as well. I'm just drooling over the artwork. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so good. Um, but overall, the hi the history is 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 really nice, and it just goes to, to show the history of Kurek Asgaras and kind of the major role it plays between the trade routes, and just how important it is, you know, of clearing out orcs, making sure uh, that safety or tr travel um, trading routes are kept safe. So it's a really important place. Um, you know, it's 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 still a newer, younger. Carrick, but it's just it, it's growing um but like i said it's been lost been taken many 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 times so only history will tell but it's a very very important place for the empire in the south uh it then goes on to the clans of that correct and there are quite a lot of them and basically the clans they mention like each clan is for a specific thing like the hammerback clan you know they're the miners and as most holds um, or carracks have, that's probably 60% of the entire place is a hammerback because miners are very essential for the carracks. Uh, the old pigs are the miners. Uh, the silver scars are the engineers. And that's kind of how they go. Yeah. There's really some cool, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, inspiration for if you're going to make a, a, uh, a dwarf character. Uh, the next portion is more for like the manlings. Uh, Carrick Esgras, a visitor's guide. <laughs> and, and it bas basically tells you that if you're not wanted there or you don't have anything that you want to like, that they want you to sell them, like it's really hard to get within range to even try to even uh, sell things to them. They have a trading post. You have to have a certain writ of passage. It's really all like, I wouldn't say professional, but business-like. Like you have to have a reason to be there. Uh, they do keep watch over the King's highway, who should be there, who's not there. Um, but uh, what's interesting is that the King's highway that they have, you know, when you're traveling there, uh, it says about every, it says, I think every two miles, there's a shelter that's roughly 12 foot long by six foot wide with uh, six foot tall walls. Uh, travelers yeah. are free to use these structures uh, to camp or just kind of, 
uh, if they get caught in a snowstorm or just start to get attacked, they have a they have a place where they can kind of like go to and bunker down if they need help. Um, and it just goes on to kind kind of locations around what what a manling might expect, uh, as grass trading posts and mer merchant pass. How entering the kingdom of of Kareka Asgaraz, uh, I thought what was interesting here is that they that they list the unzailed sky bridges, yeah, and in the Midgul Skernruff. Uh, so just as an example, um, some sky bridges are wide enough for travelers to cross single file with no parapet to prevent untimely deaths. Others are wide enough for three cars to travel side by side with high walls and towers along the length. So when you're talking about these sky bridges, you're literally talking about the golden age when they when they were able to make these sky bridges going through the high passes. Because if you want to get to Karagazgaraz from like the south, you must travel on a high road through the Great Mountains. And you have to pass through at least two of these to get there. Um, yeah, hope it's so to not give a an windy example, day. <laughs> right. So to give an example, uh, the eight-foot-wide unzailed sky bridge is wide enough for a single cart to comfortably across a 1,200-yard span while over a 1,400-foot deep gorge. A four-foot-high wall uh, is all that will stop you from being blown over by blustery winds as they rip through the gorge. So talk about scary. <laughs> Just like you know, such a, a thin, small bridge that high called the Sky Sky Bridge. I'm sure the view is beautiful if you don't look down too far. Right. But it's just – I thought that was cool. The this section has a ton of really cool um, story hooks too. Like I get all of these sections where, you know, on the visitor guide, which I think is really awesome. I like um, the, and the company of slayers. One is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other ones just talk about kind of just other locations like in and of the silver cross uh, hall of ancestors or uh, Dinkin brewery. Um, which must be a very strong beer because it's meant for like returning dwarf rangers um, to really just ease them. Thanks for returning. Here's something to relieve the stress. Right. And and kind of it's it's almost like if anyone like humans, halflings, or elves come through, they usually probably won't get that beer. They'll get the Snuckle Fritz beer because um, nothing upsets a dwarf brewer more than watching folk with weak constitutions wasting dwarf beer in their vomit. So that was interesting. Um, under the Mountain Inn, that's more of kind of like for the visitors. Um, it's a very nice place. Then it goes down into like our, goes down to like the deeps now. Middle deeps, Royal Deep, Deep of Renown, Bolts. It just keeps going deeper and deeper. Deeper and deeper <laughs> until the under deep. Um I won't go too much into those, but then it really gives like kind of like a local map of the kingdom uh, of Karaz Asgaraz. And it looks like they literally took a, a, a scan of the map I'm looking at right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, the, that's right out of the Reichland map. Yep. Because I see the crease. So, so that <laughs> gave it away. Uh, but even the map, yeah, it, it's just showing, yeah, Karaz Asgaraz so close to Uber's Reich, yeah, that 60 miles and just the scale of everything else just explodes. It's just amazing. It goes on to some other interesting places like the Mount of Krell. Um, if, if you're kind of like steeped in the lore where you kind of know things, you know, Krell was raised by Nagash to fight in his army against Empire Sigmar. Um, a dwarf hero uh, ma managed to defeat him 
Um, so now he's sealed in a reconstructed tomb, magically warded and sealed by priests of Moore and Verena. Um, but overall, it just goes to conclude that they're surrounded by enemies. It gives some, you know, some go some goblin tribe information, um, some orc tribe information. That kind of wraps it up. So it kind of gives it like it's still new. They still got tons of enemies. They have an important job to do protecting everything, you know, in that realm. Uh, but they're starting to expand and that's where they're at. So long story short, everything you need to know about Carrick Asgraz is is there. It's there. Yep. A lot of this information came from the third edition uh, Dwarf Supplement 2, which I managed to get a hand on. So um, there's some good information there, and then they've brought it forth into fourth edition. So it's good yeah. stuff. That brings us to uh, the last section, or I guess not the last section, but the last uh, uh, sections of the like different areas that this uh, book goes over, and that's Laurelorn. So... Lorelorn is very similar to the dwarf, the dwarf section where it gives you a breakdown, um, and then it, it it gives you, but it does give a nice new map. Which if you're looking for the 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 nice new map, that's on page eighty six at the very last page of the section um, where it has a map of Lorelorn. It also shows a good section of the Nordland and uh, Middenland as well. But so. This is kind of like your Empire Wood Elf. So, like, if you're not familiar, we have um, elves, right? We have High Elves and Wood Elves. Well, um, the Wood Elves, generally speaking, if you're talking about the Warhammer world, right, the Wood Elves are the Wood Elves of Atheloran, which is actually in Bretonia. Um, and there's a giant forest there. However, there's a section here uh, of the forest which is the 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 Laurelin Forest, which is in the northern section of the Empire, right next to uh, Nordland and, and north of Middenheim and Middenland, uh, northwest of Middenheim. And this section of the forest is, an, is a wood elf domain. Now, they are distinctly separate from the wood elves of Atheloran. And in fact, like if you were to look at their names, even their in their own tongue, the the Eon the Eonir is the uh, Lorelorn, where the Asari are the are from Atheloran. However, they're very similar um, in the the way that they, you know, the the concept of a wood elf, and m most humans would have no idea the difference between a wood elf from these two different forests. But just to give you an idea, so this gives us. And to my knowledge, Lorelorn has never been as detailed, as explored as detailed as ha it has in this book. So similar to uh, Middenheim, uh, we talked about this earlier, right? Like Middenheim and uh, what's the uh, Altdorf, right? Where they give you a map and then they break down sections of the map and give you more details. That's very much the same part as this. So um, you have kind of a brief history of it. And then we talk about the culture of the uh, Wood Elves in uh, Lorelorn, the Eonir, um, which we have a really good... Uh, it's very interesting because you have... There's a city, like the capital city of Tor... And I'm probably not going to say this right. Uh, Tor Lefenel, which is, uh, which is an interesting... So you have kind of city elves in this, in this Wood Elf domain that rules this domain. Um, and in fact, you get some player options. Uh, on page 78, it talks about 
using player characters and whether you're the you know the city born elves um, and they have different like names for it you actually would use the high elf um, career choices to determine what type of career your elf would be but there are different levels of what they call it lower class the lower class in here of the younger the harloth they are actually so there's kind of let me explain this in three you have essentially the city born the wood elves and then the wood elves that have come to the woods that are in the newer elves they're kind of again similar like a cast status they're like the lowest level and in fact there's a special talent in here called young blood which will affect your social test with other Lorelorn elves so it's a, it, basically what you have is you have uh, built-in options if you do a wood elf from Lorelorn for one of those three, whether they're uh, you know a, from the city um, or potentially even the lower class Eonir. So some good stuff there. I find that really interesting. And uh, similar to the dwarf section, the Lorelorn Forest has a visitor's guide. And it talks about, and I'm not going to go through in incredible detail, but it breaks down each of the different sections like I talked about. They, they, they have, they're named by different wards, right? The Ward of the Sun, the Ward of Rain. Um, and it gives story hooks throughout. Uh, lots of interesting and very crazy concepts. Some of the, uh, man, the Forest of Laurelorn is not a safe place. <laughs> you don't just go for a, a, a stroll in the woods here. Precisely. <laughs> you're well armed. Yeah, right. And you would think like right, we all know that the forests of the Empire are dangerous, but you would think like the section of the forest that's controlled by the wood elves would be safe. Nope. False. <laughs> False. Uh yeah, so it's really cool. I'm not gonna spend like I said, I'm not gonna spend a ton of stuff time in here, but it, they have a unique and sometimes a not good relationship with Nordlanders. Uh, the humans and the, on their borders. But um, there's a great amount of information for plenty of adventures. Uh, you could even do a full Wood Elf campaign if you just wanted to do Wood Elves in Lorelorn. But That'd it's, be interesting. Yeah, it would be. Uh, it's, it's a great map, great background, and some really good information in there. So, like I said, I'm not going to go through all of it, but it's it's good stuff. So, you know, be sure to check it out. And I love the picture on what page, what page is this? Page 73. Like I'm not messing with that dude. I'm gonna go the other way. <laughs> I'm gonna go toward the other side of the battle. <laughs> Seventy-three. Oh yeah. Yep. That uh, wizard. I think that's yep. from the the War of the Beard. I'm betting since it's on that page. Yeah. And uh, yep. And they got a nice history on page seventy-five. Little breakdown. Yeah, it's it's very much like the dwarf chapter kind of breaking down. Oh, yeah. Here, here's the society. Here's the yep. you know. Here's how things work, and here's a breakdown of you know the 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 guide, if you will, the map and all that. And uh, what, what what's interesting is that they have um, like like tiny maps of the bigger map, kind of within you know like zoomed in portions, which I thought that was neat. Yeah, yep. That's what I was talking to. Like similar to how like Middenheim and Altdorf do it for their in their books, which I really like. Yeah, an overall map of Lorelorn and then broken down into the various wards, right. which are then broken down similarly to the first chapter that talked about the Grand Provinces. Right. Uh, each ward has its own capital, the ruler, 
how its political structure is set up, uh, and of course, story hooks to go along with each. So that puts us on to perhaps the most talked about section of this book. One of the neatest for sure. We have reached Appendix 1, which is a breakdown of four new careers that are available to these specific species, which I thought was a really neat thing as well. So we have the Ghost Rider, which only a wood elf can be. We have the Field Warden and Badger Rider, which are both halfling careers. And then the Karak Ranger, which is an offshoot for a dwarven career. Uh, Each of these... Like most careers, you can just choose that you want to be in one of those. However, it does specifically say that if you are rolling randomly, if you, uh, for the Ghost Rider, if you happen to roll as a bounty hunter for a Wood Elf, you could choose to be a Ghost Rider. The Field Warden is uh, a Road Warden. The Ranger, the Karak Ranger, is a Messenger. And then uh, the Badger Rider is a Soldier. But Badger Riders are one in their own they're so (laughs) such a fun (laughs) such a fun career for sure which i i i like the one thing i all right so there in my opinion there are a couple of misses in this chapter but it's it's made up so one of the misses is on badger rider where if you do get if you do get a badger rider character you are assumed to have a giant badger but there's no stats for the giant badger. Like, where is it? I need those stats. So yeah, I, I noticed that too. Yeah, yeah. So I guess your GM's just going to have to come up with those. Um, well, is that like winked at by the introductory? Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Where yeah, like the introductory paragraph under the appendix says. Any Mootland halfling wishing to become a badger rider must convince the GM that badger riders are in fact real. So I imagine that might have something to do with it. They may add one in the beef theory. (laughs) You stop too soon because not only do they have to convince the GM that Badger Riders are real. Oh, yeah. They must attempt to replicate their Badger's terrifying war cry for the benefit of their fellow players. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's so awesome. So good. Yeah, I I... like that this takes just, uh, you know, essentially what is a single career and then just specializes it a little bit splits it off right so uh, a bounty hunter career is a wood elf you know you could either go bounty hunter or you could you could just specialize yourself a little bit more and become the ghost rider they're very similar in a lot of ways they're still in the same class but of course with new talents available on a new advanced scheme yeah ghost rider is the if if you want to play the the wood elf in the shadows that no one can see that um you know is part of the woods mm-hmm. and in the trees right and and shoots like legolas it's the ghost rider incredible oh. artwork for that career yeah, too yeah so good probably my favorite of the new four well it's well badge rider's awesome but there's yeah. something about that that uh, ghost rider that really just pops off the page. Yeah, when I see that artwork for the ghost rider, it, to me, it says, I'm only seeing you because you've allowed it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, all his shin guards are in like wood. Yeah. <laughs> his cloak is, is leaves. Just leaves. Just yeah. Blend right in. Yeah. He's yeah. brown, green, and he's gone. Um, I did like the artwork for the Carrick Ranger. I've never seen like a dwarf artwork kind of picturing someone like 
trying to blend in with the snow and the mountain. So it's kind of yeah. like I'm so used to seeing him then with armor or like a slayer. Just the aspect of seeing him in white and light blue. And, and the with fact what that he's wearing it's a, is, a female dwarf yeah. too is is so cool. With the because you get to see how her hair is braided, similar to like yeah. how a dwarf would braid so their it's beard. Like a, yeah, I like yeah, see that front, on each side and then braids together in the front. That yeah. is really cool. Yeah. So, so in in this is one of, in my opinion, this is the other miss here. The fact that they went with black powder for a ranger instead of crossbow, like, oh man, I feel like that's. I mean, sure, you could have black powder, but crossbow. I feel like it should be an either or. Um, I certainly, as a GM, would would tell my player like, okay, it's you can go crossbow or black powder, you, you know, um, because I feel like crossbow is is dwarf rangers of old, you know, they they crossbows are more quiet. You want to be stealthy in the mountains, but that's that's uh, not to say that dwarves wouldn't have access to black powder, but yeah, that's another one that was like, oh man, I feel like that. That was uh, that was a bit of a miss there, but the the career is awesome. And I want to say too, we've we've talked about all the sexy ones. The the one that you w- might not see as sexy is a field warden. But remember when I was talking about like the the halflings have to keep you know the undead and skaven and orcs invasions out of their land. How do they do it? It's the field wardens. This is essentially the I mean the the militia, but they are it can be incredibly effective in battle, um, especially considering ballistic skill is the yeah. in their their first tier of uh, the advanced scheme. Yeah, that's yeah. not super common. No, yeah, with ballistic skill, and then they start with sling, right? But even you get to the next level and stuff. There's some really cool, like when you look at the way that they progress in this career. Um, you can, I mean, you can be pretty oh. tough. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not one to be laughed at. But then, of course, I mean, I feel like Badger Rider steals the show, hundred <laughs> percent. I came out the blue. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, even the way they show the guy, it seems like he'd be like half drunk, just like woo. Yeah, wielding a cleaver, <laughs> right? Just riding like... along on the top of a badger. That's good I almost stuff. got shot in the head with an arrow. Woo. If you manage to get past the field wardens, this is the shock cavalry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That brings us to appendix two weapons. Uh, and yes, weapons, they are and expensive. They are um, the Ionir. I'm going to have to learn how that said, but e- the Ionir melee weapons, uh, they give you a war blade, a spear and a wildwood sword. And these things are brutal, expensive. The dwarfs, if you're a dwarf fan, you get a bearded axe, a dwarf hammer, and there we go, Slayer's Axe. Bearded axe, Matt. That takes me back to the second edition days. For sure, for sure. I was yeah. thinking the same thing. Yep. And that Slayer's, that's for the record, that Slayer's Axe, I don't think we released an episode where the Slayer's Axe has come into play, but it's come into play in our in our actual play, and that thing is wicked. Yes. I think it just breaks someone in half. Well, well, cleave them in half, I should say. Um, halflings, well, they got Nan's Cleaver and Iron Skillet. 
I'm not sure why they're one gold coin. They must be good quality. Uh, that iron skillet, though, it's, I mean, it's defensive. That's actually really good. Yeah. And uh, Nance Cleaver has hacks, so that's yeah. uh, pretty cool, too. Uh, it goes to dwarves. Uh, dwarves have their ranged weapons. Dwarf handgun. Ooh, it's expensive. Dwarf pistols, even. 18 gold coins. Good yeah. lord. Uh, dwarf crossbow. Quality. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a Drake fire pistol. If you get one of these, oh, you're lucky. They're they're, so they're cool. exotic. Twenty five gold coins. Yeah. It literally says in the qualities, dangerous. Yeah. Pistol. Well, it also has a special, special quality that is on a critical hit. Drake fire pistols can inflict an ablaze condition on the target. I should I should yeah. so I need to make sure you guys come across the Drake fire pistol because I have no doubt you read that, my mind, Lance. that somebody is going to try to put Von Hol's quality lamp oil in one of these things. And I, I, I'm going to have to come I up with a whole new chart to see what happens. Oh, <laughs> the endeavor to craft a weapon. We need to find an artisan <laughs> engineer and use the Drake fire pistol along with Von Hull's quality lamp oil to make a flamethrower. Oh. Um, let's be real. That would be awesome. Or use a Drake fire pistol to shoot at Von Hull's quality oil somewhere. <laughs> Ooh, man. But, now we're talking. The uh, the next one though kind of reminds me of yeah, it's a cinder blessed bomb. Yeah, three yep. gold coins, damage plus fourteen, blast three, dangerous impact, penetrating. It's a hand grenade. Yeah, that's oh, what that sure. is. <laughs> it's a big now hand that grenade. I'm thinking, Conrad Industries <laughs> is might have a special selection for nobles. <laughs> Coming soon from Conrad Industries, Von Holz quality cinder blast bombs. <laughs> um, then it goes to it, kind of more. Um, put it ahead. where put it where you want that uh, village to no longer be. <laughs> right. <laughs> and our Von Holz patented timer. <laughs> Make sure you can get away. Guaranteed um, unwanted casualties every time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, goes on to rage weapons, more like kind of um, ammo wise. Uh, Blackbriar javelin. Uh, it has impale and special. Then it goes to the the dwarf ammunition. Got Drake fire shots, precision shot and powder, starfire shafts and s- swift shiver shafts from the Eonors. Those look brutal. Yeah, range the, plus fifty for the, the, the starfire star shaft, shaft. Yeah, is really awesome. Accurate impale. It gives you plus fifty range for these. So with a longbow, um, plus it's still accurate and has oh God, impale. It could be That's ever away. Yeah, it's like an assassin shot. Um, and, and you can got in bla- a blaze. So it's like a flaming, super accurate, super long range arrow. And the second shot they have things to yeah, like to try to to come across and to seek out. There's some fun fun stuff could could come to play with this. Yeah. Yep. The second one they have is a uh, that swift shiver shaft. It has a plus one damage, but has blast one and penetrating. And what's the dot dots mean? If you wish to make use of the blast quality of a swift shiver shaft, say that three times. You must expend an additional shift shiver arrow. So fire two at once, and I guess you get a blast effect. 
the uh the blackbriar javelin had a special effect as well where as long as you're able to let it rest in the ground it essentially absorbs poison from the ground and when you use it it will inflict poison which is a really neat effect too you know what i've read this book multiple times and i have never i apparently didn't read that special ability that's awesome these are like uh, that's one area where i i think up to this point i've kind of felt warhammer has lacked a little bit are the really unique qualities of weapons where you know for the most part it's whatever weapon you're more you're going to get more bang for your buck from talents and from your skills and specializations than you are with specific weapons these are so cool like seeking these out to be able to to pull off some ridiculous you know, amazing uh, combat event would be really, really fun. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that's the book guys. And, and uh, so let's Matt final thoughts. So I, I'm a big fan of this book. I think this is probably the best supplement that has been released so far for GMs, maybe second only to the GM screen, which is a really nice screen. But this one gives you so much information about the the non-humans in the Warhammer world. It gives you so much more of their backstory, so much more about how they live, what makes them special, what makes their their species unique. I really think this is a great book for GMs to get that get that lore jump start, as well as if you're playing as either the halflings dwarves or elves this is going to give you more information than anything else that we've got so far to help you really understand their history how they would act what they would do Uh, it's a it's a quality supplement it really is i'm very very much looking forward to what they come up with next um i will have to say i totally agree with everything you said and i really can't wait for archives two which should be out soon and archives three four five six (laughs) and and the rest of them (laughs) no pressure cubicle seven but (laughs) right we have some real big expectations for this line yeah archive i didn't know what to expect for archives and i it blew me out of the water um, I think the player options are really good. New careers are awesome. Um, and uh, I'll echo some of that. But I'll say if you're a halfling player, this is, I mean, this is going to be, this needs to be really high on your list of things to potentially pick up, um, especially in, in character creation. Like if you're wanting to, there's some really cool options in there, but it gives you a lot of background on the halflings in the Mootland. I think uh, you're right. I think uh, from all three of the uh, different races that are in here, th- I think that it, this probably does the most for halflings as far as giving you more player options when you're creating your character and and focus as far as w- what clan you may be a part of and what that means for you as a player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to a lesser degree, the, the what else, but... But actually, the Wood Elves, again, if you're going to play a Wood Elf in the game, especially if they're going to be from, like, Lorlorn, absolutely. This is great stuff you probably need to know, right? This is your homeland, and there hasn't been a lot of information on Lorlorn until this point. This is great, great stuff. Um, The Dwarves, I would say, to a lesser degree, um, it gives 
good information, but there's not a lot of player options built into the dwarf chapter in this book. Um, the, True. Uh, the the good information on Karak Asgraz, um, though, if you have third edition, there's probably not a lot new there. If you have the third, I forget the title, the name of the title, might be Blackfire Pass has, um, even though Karak Asgraz is not anywhere near Blackfire Pass, um, I think they have a bunch of information on Karak Asgraz in that book. So, but having said all of that, um, it's really good information, and the Imperial Dwarf section really helps you have a good understanding of how dwarves work in Imperial society. Again, a good read for a dwarf player in the system. I don't know if this would be like a must-buy, not nearly as much so as I would say maybe for the Halfling or the Wood Elves, especially uh, Wood Elves from Lorelorn um, w- would find a lot of goodness in this book. And Badger Rider, I mean, come on. I mean, if if you're thinking about being a halfling, like Badger Rider, man, it's just got to be something you think about. I just, it sounds so cool. So two thumbs up. Uh, it is it is my favorite release so far. I, I can say that. I'm getting really excited for some of the stuff that Podrig has hinted at that's coming down the line, though. And I think right now I'm probably most looking forward to the Imperial Zoo and uh, seeing what TS uh, has brought into that along with the rest of the team. But uh, yeah, this is this is awesome. So that's the end of our show tonight, guys. Um, in our next discussion episode, we have quite a few things um, on the docket, and I'm not entirely sure what's going to be next. I know that we are going to be doing a review for um, the VTTs. Oh yeah, and uh, there's yes, Altdorf. Yeah, Altdorf is on Altdorf. the docket. We, we're going to talk Altdorf for sure. I need to finish reading that monster of a book. Um, it's huge. Uh, and um, but we also going to have the VTT review. Um, I know we we have a special guest we're going to have on for that. Um, so uh, we'll be uh, bringing that up too. Uh, as far as uh, but yeah, Altdorf. Um, we're going to do a review of the Roll Twenty and Foundry and and online gaming in general. I think the episode's going to be about. So we'll have a lot of good stuff to talk about there. And then coming down the line, we definitely have the Horned Rat Companion, so we might be talking about that. But there's a lot of other stuff. But for sure, those two discussion topics are on there. And of course, we have more. Uh, episodes coming with career reviews and I know uh, we've been getting some requests to go back to do some more uh, reviews of the gods and religion uh, so we have some of those coming down oh, yeah. the line as well so we we literally have more things to talk about than we have time to talk about but uh, we'll be getting those episodes uh, to you soon so be on the lookout so intrepid listeners keep in touch let us know your questions feedback and even show topic suggestions You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards too. Check us out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. And like we talked about earlier, feel free to jump on for a month, listen to as much as you can, and then jump off if that's what you want to do. Won't hurt our feelings at all, I promise. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. All right. So this is Lance saying goodnight. 
and may your badger war cry be both terrifying and accepted by your peers. This is Matt saying have a great day, and as I always say, keep noshing Sigmar's sausage. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Steve saying good night, and be sure to keep safe in the Empire. I also want to add, in general, if anyone has any cool stories based off these new weapons that are coming in Archives 1, or that you've read and used, it'd be interesting to hear those stories about cool, just cool plays or cool events in your gameplay. E- email us anytime. Yeah, send it our way for sure. Uh, you can email at questions at oldworldpodcast.com. All right, good night, folks. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC. 